In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again. This is the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast heard in over 100 countries. If you appreciate this podcast and we get a lot of really nice comments and likes on LinkedIn, please thank and support our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. Okay, I'm very, I hate to use cliches like this, but I am excited to bring back as part two of a podcast, Mr. Jim Crompton. If you haven't listened to part one, Jim is retired from Chevron. He retired from Chevron in 2013 after almost 37 years with the company. But during that time, he has become a distinguished lecturer for the Society of Petroleum Engineers. His particular lecture is on the topic of putting the focus on data. He co-authored a book back around that same time, 2013, with Dr. Dutch Holland, the late Dr. Dutch Holland, but since then has authored three or four, is it three, four, or five other books, Jim? Well, it's two published and one in progress. Okay. All right. Two more. And then, of course, as we talked about last time, he is part of what's called Top Energy Training, which is educational consortium composed of the Colorado School of Mines, Penn State University, and also the University of Texas at Austin. They design and create online courses for oil and gas professionals focusing on the fundamental technology, science, and engineering of oil and gas operations. And of course, Jim also currently teaches undergrad and graduate level petroleum data analytics at Colorado School of Mines. If you didn't listen to the first podcast, you need to know that Colorado School of Mines offers a online certification course for oil and gas professionals, and you might be interested in checking into that. You can also, the top energy training, we put its website information in the show notes on the first podcast, and we'll do that again on this one. And so we entitled the first podcast, Measure What Matters. And that was a very interesting discussion. Again, if you haven't listened to that podcast, you might want to go back and catch up on that one. But what I wanted to get to, we had so much to talk about, and so we didn't get to it. I wanted to get to the subject of abandoned wells. So I think, Jim, we're going to entitle this Abandoned and Forgotten. I think that'll cover it. We should have an interesting discussion starting from that phrase. And so that phrase is different from plugged and abandoned. Is that right? Well, and I think that's where the issue lies. I think the industry, when it does everything right, can properly plug and abandon a well that is that it's not a problem in the future. What we have now is a very large kind of collection of wells that needs some remediation because they could become problems. Well, and just, I had a conversation, it was an ESG conversation with someone just a couple of weeks ago. And of course, OGGN, which is this podcast is a production of, and we have about a dozen other oil and gas related podcasts. And we're, of course, big defenders and big 
proponents of the industry. But we were having a conversation that despite the negative impact, and I mentioned on our first podcast of the API meeting we had with Amanda Eversall, who's the chief operating officer of API. And in fact, she was referencing congressional hearings that were going on even that morning and some of the struggles that API was having going up against, you know, some of these, I call them greeny weenies or whatever, but we are cleaning up our messes now, but we do have to admit that I guess, and maybe you can help give some context to this, but many years ago, we did make a lot of messes, didn't we? No, we have. And I think some of these messes, and while they are a very small percentage of the wells and Operators do have an obligation that they take seriously of properly abandoning a well after it reaches its end of its economic life. But there have been circumstances, bankruptcies, other sort of areas where the we isn't as clear as it should be, right? I mean, if it was a major operator that pays a surety bond and gets on his well, I mean, he'll abandon it and it'll, it'll do a good job and it won't be a problem, you know, moving forward in terms of water or methane emissions or even just subsidence where, you know, a rancher's cow might fall in the hole. I mean, even some of that is a damage that you might have. It could be small, but it's big to the rancher. And unfortunately, I mean, the industry has been around for a long time. The industry has been around long before some of the regulations and the rest of it. And if you talk about Pennsylvania, there's thousands of wells drilled in the coal bed methane sort of era in the late 19th century that was you know, well before there was an oil and gas commission. So where those wells are and what they might be doing now, and even some of them get reactivated. You frack the well you're working on and maybe that pressure goes off to another well bore that you didn't know anything about. And all of a sudden it's gushing salt water or something on you. So it's a more complex subject than people kind of paint it as. And of course, some of the videos that you can take from a well that's blowing out salt water, you know, make for real bad publicity. I mean, they're a small fraction, and I understand API's challenge of defending the industry's full impact and full record. But those who want to show the dark side, you know, they have some things that make headlines. Oh, absolutely. And so many times we're dealing with emotions and not facts. That's difficult to figure out how you deal with that challenge. It's a constant effort. As we talked about on the first podcast, it requires education and people being aware of, you know, what's available now in the area of, as we talked about, digital transformation and AI and all that sort of thing, and how that is helping us now to, to reduce emissions footprints and all that sort of thing. It was a problem in the past. So are we cleaning up these? First of all, you say they're a small percentage. Is that right? Well, when you consider there's like 3 million wells drilled in, at least just in the North America, it's a small percentage of the total number of wells that were drilled. But when you go back, you know, some of this is historical, as you kind of alluded to. You know, and I think there, in certain areas, say for example, I'll just give a good story here. So operators that are applying for new kind of super pads, you know, where you're drilling 12, 18 wells right, more right, off, off a same, single yeah. sort of pad, uh-huh. you know, in the state of Colorado and others, they are agreeing to go back and in the process for getting the drilling the directional wells, they'll go find all of the old vertical wells that were on that lease and they will properly abandon them as part of the lease application. So they're not only saying, I'll take care of this well into its future, I'll take care of the stuff that's around it right now. I mean, and that's a proactive 
you know, kind of approach. Yeah, it costs some money to do that. But I think it's part of the commitment to demonstrate good stewardship. And so that's being done. And a number of operators are making that sort of commitment. The other thing that's kind of coming up, and, you know, they're just two quick stories about getting the background on the rest of this. So when I gave my first talk to this top corp audience, this, you know, state regulators, field inspectors, permit agents, and the rest of that, I was talking about the future and emerging technology and waving my hands and talking about all this stuff that kind of seems like science fiction at times. But then I, you know, at the coffee break, I was talking to some of the inspectors who are really great people to work with. And I said, well, what do you do? What's your day job? And they said, well, more often than not, we get a phone call. Somebody is talking about an abandoned well that may be leaking a little bit of salt water. Maybe there's some fumes coming out of it or something like that. So we have to go and take a look at it. And they said that spends so much of our time. And we would go in. Then, first of all, the thing is we can't find the well on our records. Then we can't find the owner of the well. And that's the abandoned and forgotten kind of thing is because unfortunately in areas, you know, small operators, they reach maybe the end of the economic life, maybe they go bankrupt in economic kind of situation where, you know, they can't pay for the fees. So these abandoned wells that have no ownership, no, and through research, no ownership, You can't trace it to the deep pockets. You know, if they can find an owner, they'll go tell, you know, operator A, hey, hey, come out here and abandon the well. And so the operator will. But if they can't find the owner, all those sudden becomes on the taxpayer's burden. Right, exactly. These agencies aren't well funded by the state budgets. And the other area I kind of did some research in was the Los Angeles Basin, where a good friend of mine at University of Southern California was telling me about the story, essentially, this was a place where a very, very productive oil basin, Los Angeles Basin, was essentially paved over by the growth of Los Angeles City in the 40s and 50s, when that city kind of really just grew tremendously. And an awful lot of wells were just, they were maybe a properly abandoned due to the procedures at the time, 1950s. And then all of a sudden, you just had urban growth all over the wells. I think the first discovery well of oil in Los Angeles Basin is underneath Dodger Field right now, just to give you an example of urban and oil field kind of history. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But every once in a while, you know, one of these wells reactivates or, I mean, not huge. We're not talking about a big, huge blowout or something like that, like a Mideast field. But, you know, they leak in a couple hundred gallons of water or something like that is a nuisance may not be a big safety issue, but it's a nuisance issue. And the state and the, you know, the dogger, you know, which is a California state agency, I mean, is overwhelmed. And some of these, you know, maybe on the beach in, in Long Beach or something like that, and it could take their entire annual budget to plug and abandon one well. So are we making progress? Yes. Are we making rapid progress? Probably not. Now, one of the things that's come up here just recently is through the recently passed federal infrastructure bill, there's a lot of money, $4.7 billion that has been come from the feds to the states to say, you know, use this money to help deal with your abandoned well problem. And about the first billion of it, I think, is being sent out. And a billion dollars is a lot of money to me. It may not be a lot of money to Washington, but it's a lot of money to me. And all of a sudden, it's kind of interesting that you see the states, we only have on record 200 abandoned wells. And that's probably true. That's all they have on record. That doesn't mean that's all they have. 
Now, all of a sudden, this federal money is available and they have a thousand abandoned wells. So, you know, all of a sudden they find these that worked and try to compete for the federal money. But it clearly is an issue. I mean, our cleaning up our history is still a big chunk of work. And I said some of that history can be a big nuisance. I mean, and particularly when you have, say, an old vertical well that was drilled in the 40s and you're drilling a well today and fracking it with some of these big fracks that we do. I've seen several videos of just the frack going over into the old well bore, and you've got a bit of a saltwater geyser, you know, to have to deal with. And so you go, well, that's not my well. You know, whose lease was this in the 1940s? Well, it's a company that hasn't been around for decades, right? Exactly. You have this history, and some of it gets into legalistic, you know, kind of things of who's responsible. And I think, you know, big operators are saying, okay, I'll do it. I'll fix it. But not all operators have the money to do that, and not all these areas even have anybody working there at all. So finding these abandoned and forgotten wells, and some of them were abandoned and plugged based on the technique 40 years ago, which can degrade, and all of a sudden it can be open again, essentially, for flows. And are they sources of methane? Well, in some cases, yes. Are they sources of really salty, nasty water? In some cases, yes. In some cases, they're not much of anything at all. Again, the majority of them are kind of no big deal. Take a few thousand dollars, go out there and you know, kind of just clean it up and you're fine. Some of them can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to remediate, depending on where they are. I mean, they might be right in the middle of a subdivision or it might be you know, in some place that's pretty complicated to do the P&A job correctly. So yeah, now with the idea of methane emissions, it kind of ties back to that. The idea of water quality issues, it ties into that because that salt water may just blow out right into the creek and it's not supposed to. That's not potable water. It's not used for agriculture or humans or anything. So we have to deal with it. And not everybody has a big budget ready to do that. And so that's the economic issue. There's an ownership issue of, well, that first of all, you want to find out who's responsible and make them pay. And then finding who's responsible sometimes is a real detective job. And, you know, the state's permit agents are burdened with that kind of task in order to try to do that. Some, I mean, our records for the last 40, 50 years are pretty good, but this goes way back beyond that. And that's where, you know, the records aren't so good. In Southern California, they have this big warehouse full of all of this paper organized in these folders. And when someone wants to go find some information, it's not digital. I mean, they've got a great digital website, but it doesn't include these older wells. And so you have to just go do this manual detective job to figure out, you know, what does this belong to? How deep is it? What formation did it go to? Is it pressure behind pipe? All of these questions that unite, because you don't want to just go in there and abandon the well if you don't know about the pressure regime. People get hurt that way. Exactly. It's a health and safety issue. Without a doubt. Not just environmental. We know that well intervention, when you don't really understand the well you're going into, is a safety issue. And we don't want the contractors to get hurt either, right, that are working on the well or the inspectors who are looking at the rest of the well. So it's a part of our history that we're making progress on. It's one that tends to be forgotten as we're focusing on new drills and new production. But it's a part of our history that we have to own up to. And I think we can use data. There's all kinds of aerial surveys to help us find some of the incidents of where these old wells are that aren't in the records. Many states are trying to digitize their old public records and make them available so this stuff's easier to find. 
for states that have done that, the detective job's easier. For the ones that haven't quite cut up all their history, it's more time-consuming. But somehow, I mean, the feds have now given the states a bunch of money to help and to accelerate this process. Some of the large operators are recognizing that it's part of their responsibility to get community license to operate kind of thing in order to try to do this. But we can have data to help us. We can have these aerial surveys. We can have the emission surveys I talked about in terms of the digital canopy to find the ones that may be leaking methane and deal with them first to prioritize this long list of wells that we have. But there's, you know, no one really knows. And I don't say I know either, but I think the total inventory of plugged and forgotten wells is in the hundreds of thousands. Many of these small postal wells drilled to a coal seam that are 80 feet deep. I mean, that would be included in some of those, um, that big number, but they could be nuisances nonetheless. Sure. But they can be cleaned. Oh, no doubt. All of this stuff can be done by modern plug and abandonment. Yeah. The oil and gas industry isn't taking us to Armageddon, you know, in fact, you get rid of the oil and gas industry and you'll be back to Armageddon or worse or whatever, you know. The industry has a very positive, constructive role to play exactly. in dealing with this issue. No exactly. doubt. Well, Jim, man, I'm telling you, I really appreciate the time you've taken with me today. You are a wealth of information and you're also a very bright spot to know that we have people like you who are out there providing all this educational awareness and wish you luck. Your latest book, you say it's in being edited right now. When do you expect it to come out? Probably in a couple months. My technical editor and my publication department is my youngest daughter who does all this work for me. She does a great job and I pay her for it. So it's not the only, you know, only source, but so Emily also helps me do my recorded videos for my online classes and things like that. So oh, okay. A, all right. That's great. A, a grazing technical resource. I got oil in my blood. I've got 40 plus years in the industry. I know that the industry has got a bad rap at times. I know that it's being challenged once again. Obviously, the commodity prices have come up, so that makes it a little easier. But still, when you're operating at three and a half dollars in MCF, I mean, you're watching your costs. Sure, sure. And you can't just write checks all over the place. It has to be appropriate sort of, you know, investment expenditure. But and And the industry does the right thing most of the time. I mean, it does the right thing when it knows what the right thing is. And a lot of this stuff is just an, a historical detective story that we all have to sort out together. And having people like you on podcasts like this and bringing it to the forefront, I think is important. You talked about your 40 years or more in, in the industry. We mentioned on the first podcast, I don't think we mentioned on this one, since you are a teacher at Colorado School of Mines, you're in Colorado Springs, but your career has seen you in several different places, right? In With Chevron, I started in Denver, but then I spent a lot of time in Houston and in New Orleans and working the Gulf Coast offshore. And then also in London, England, working the UK and the Danish and offshore. So I had a lot of great experiences. And then through the SPE and other talks, I think I visited about 20 countries during my career. And I always say my two international assignments, one was in London and the other one was in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. And for people who don't know, that's actually very true. Jim, again, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been very interesting. As we conclude today, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to again remind you this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. 
You can tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our OGGN Anderson Hauser website. Also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. All this information is in the show notes at that website. You can also register for our monthly giveaway. Finally, you can find in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can message me. Please let me know what you're enjoying about the show and suggestions for content you might like to hear. Also, if you're looking for a speaker for a conference or meeting, you can contact me about having one from our OGGN Speakers Bureau, including Mark LaCour or yours truly. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S. and international-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. We'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.